On today's episode, we're breaking down some great listener questions. So perhaps you've been retired for a few weeks and panicking about living on fixed income all of a sudden. We've got a question just like that coming up. We've got questions about Social Security. Also, uh, someone worried about their dad's health declining and maybe some financial moves and things to consider in that life event. 401k questions, company's future, worried about your employment as you approach retirement. We're covering all sorts of different angles in these questions on today's show. So stay tuned. We've got a smattering of financial guidance headed your way. It's time for another edition of Reengineering Your Finances. It's time for Reengineering Your Finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Hey, thanks for joining us for another edition of Reengineering Your Finances. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Charles Weldy, CPA and Certified Financial Planner at CP Weldy Group. You can find it, Charles, online at cpweldygroup.com. Charles, hope your life is just going swimmingly right now. I know we're kind of sitting here in the midst of winter, and you're, you're ready for the sun to start shining again and the, the warmth to come back, but we've got, we got a little bit longer to make it through, don't we? <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? Usually uh, this time of year goes pretty quick. So, um, you know, what are we in the mid-January? I guess another like 60 days, it'll be like spring, right? I mean, you know, like spring's that. right around the corner. That's right. Yeah, you'll, uh, before you know it, the days are already getting longer, right? We've already had that shortest day of the year and they're already starting to get a little longer for us. So that's always a good thing. And, uh, yeah. and, and you start to feel that too a little bit, I think. Uh, well, this will be fun to answer some listener questions on today's show, so let's hop into it. Uh, if you want to submit a question, by the way, you can get in touch with us through the website at cpweldygroup.com. Uh, Kathleen will kick us off this week. Kathleen says, I've been retired for two weeks, and I'm already panicking about living on this fixed income, and I'm looking for part-time job opportunities. Is this a normal reaction? Well, I don't know. If she's only been you know, retired for two weeks and she's looking for a part-time job, I don't think she did much planning. What do you think, Walter? I mean, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Either isn't that it? or just a little bit of anxiety, right? <laughs> yeah, it's probably anxiety. I mean, realistically, um, you know, if she's been retired for a couple of weeks and she's panicking about living on fixed income, then I, I got to question how her investments are allocated. I mean, obviously, she should have... Uh, you know, maybe a short-term bucket, like, you know, subsidizing her income, like on a monthly basis, and maybe have the balance in a long-term bucket for growth that will replace that short-term bucket over time. So I would just say, like, you know, it's probably normal to be a little anxious when you just retire, but uh, I would just try to talk her into maybe getting a dollar date-specific plan that, you know, would really relieve that anxiety and give her, like, more confidence about her, hopefully, 25, 30-year retirement. Yeah, it, I think you're right. Either there's not a plan in place or there's a plan in place, but there's just maybe a lack of clarity of like how it, how it all works, right? And, and there should be exactly. more comfort with that. So yeah, that's a good uh, a good question, Kathleen. Probably just uh, if, you, if you have an advisor, talk to your advisor, let them know about those concerns and uh, that plan that you have should be put in place and, and ready and, and ready to help you out. So um, that, that should the plan's supposed to give you comfort. So make sure that that's actually happening. Uh, how about this question from Jacob as we turn uh, uh, gears in a different direction? Jacob says, I'm 67, so I've reached full retirement age for Social Security, but I don't have plans to retire anytime soon. Should I go ahead and start my Social Security now or just wait until I'm done working? Well, I mean, I don't know whether Jacob is uh, single or married, but let's assume he's single. If he's single and he's still working, he doesn't need it. I mean, every year he delays it, he gets an 8% increase. So if he's only 67 his benefit would be like 24% higher three years from now. So I would probably steer him towards, hey, you know what? You don't need the money now. You're not going to miss it. 
you know, if you're still working, it's probably going to be taxable, maybe up to 85% of your benefit. So why don't you delay for three more years, get a higher benefit, and, uh, you know, you'll probably be in better shape. Now, if he was married, it might be a different story because, uh, you know, he could file for Social Security and maybe get a spousal benefit. I mean, there's, there's some complicated rules there. But for this question, I'm going to assume he's single. And, you know, if you don't need the money now, you know, I would just wait. You know, you're still working. Money's coming in. It's not an issue. The money will be there, you know, at 67 or 70. You may as well get the higher benefit. And uh, the break-even for most people is uh, well into their 80s. Uh, and I, I think it's like, uh, I did a calculation, like 84 years old, you break even. So, you know, if he lives 14 years, he'll look back and say, hey, I made the right decision. If he passes away three years after he collects his benefit at age 70, he'll never know. So everything's fine. <laughs> It's a great, great point. Absolutely. Uh, good question there, Jacob. Let's go to another angle here from Megan. Megan says, my dad is in his 90s and his health is starting to decline. Would it be wise for him to start gifting money to me and my sister while he's still alive so that we don't have to deal with so much estate tax? We've also talked about him signing over his house to us. Hmm. Sounds like a lot of red flags might be popping off here. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I don't know what the, the dad's estate's worth, but, you know, each um, each person has roughly like a $12 million exemption. So if he had an estate less than $12 million, I'd say, hey, you know what, you don't really have much to worry about. There's not going to be any estate tax. But here in Pennsylvania, there's an inheritance tax, which is 4.5% of your estate value. So if he had excess money in his estate, and he wanted to save, even though it's only 4.5%, and I'm assuming his estate's less than $12 million, yeah, start gifting to the kids while, you know, they're alive. It's better to gift with warm hands and cold hands, and, you know, you see the benefits of your gifting. But I would never change the uh, title of my house to my kids, and the reason being there, Walter, is upon my demise, you know, that 90-year-old uh, father, uh, the kids would get a step up in basis. They could sell the house the next day and have no capital gain. So, you know, switching the house, you know, from a parent to a child, you really have to, you know, look at the pros and cons. And, you know, in my world, there's more cons than pros. So I probably wouldn't do that. But as far as gifting, it really would de- depend on, you know, the size of his estate. And, you know, hey, you know, if, if you can sit, gift with warm hands as opposed to cold hands, why not? Good points there on that one. Good question as well, Megan. Thanks for sending that one in. Trying to do things in a smart way, but sometimes you can unlock more problems than you were uh, were hoping for. All right, Erica says, I'm a big believer in my current company's future, so the majority of my 401k is invested in company stock. I understand that I'm not diversified, but is it okay since I know the company so well? Well, uh, I would just say this, like, you know, I was always taught and trained, like, don't have more than five, 10% of your investments in your own company stock. And I, I think it's a good rule. I mean, obviously, if I worked for Facebook, I probably wouldn't adhere to that rule. But if I worked for Enron, I wish I did. So, um, you know, I would just say like, hey, you know, uh, it's probably worth a lot of money as we speak. You know, instead of being greedy, why not get more diversified and preserve what you've accomplished uh, in terms of your, you know, net worth to date? Um, it's better to hit singles and doubles than try to hit a home run. You might strike out. So I, I would say, hey, I don't mind you keeping maybe up to 10% of your company stock in your 401k, but, you know, the other 90%, I'd like to see well diversified because it's going to be uh, a lot harder if that account goes down, you know, with one stock than it is if the market goes down with uh, several thousand stocks. 
Very cool. Yeah, that's interesting um, perspective on that question. I imagine, Charles, not the only time you see a question like that from someone in your office. A lot of people, when they get that stock option in their own company, they they want to leverage it because they do feel like they have a little bit of that inside knowledge, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it might not be a bad idea because – you know, some people have the opportunity to take that, you know, when they retire, to take that money out and, and pay capital gains on that stock as opposed to ordinary income. So, you know, I'm kind of just giving you the general, you know, answer in terms of like having all your money invested in one stock. But, you know, if it was a, a, a company stock that, hey, I'm ready to retire this year, it might be a different answer because you might be able to look at the basis of that stock look at the fair market value, pay capital gain stock on the whole kit and caboodle at a reduced rate, get it out in after-tax accounts, and that would save you a lot of tax dollars in the future. So, um, you know, maybe with uh, the stock market being underwater years ago, that wasn't a big deal. But today, with the, the stocks being what they are, especially 2023 was a good year, there's a lot more companies whose um, stock values is, is higher than they were in the past. And um, it might make sense to, if you're retiring in, in, you know, within the next year, to keep that stock, pay a reduced capital gains tax rate on the whole kit and caboodle when you retire, and then really like reduce your overall tax burden because now you don't have any more qualified money. So, uh, again, you know, no right or wrong answer, but you know, there's a lot to think about there. That's why that's an important question for people to ask, because it does have all of these other little moving parts and ramifications, I suppose. All sorts of good questions so far. A quick reminder that if you have questions for Charles, you can reach out and talk to him one-on-one about any of your concerns. 610-388-7705 is the number, 610-388-7705, or go online to cpweldygroup.com, cpweldygroup.com. Uh, We have a few more questions here for you, Charles. This next one comes to us from Anna. Anna says, I've been loving the growth in my 401k for the past several years, despite the volatility, but I just don't know how long this ride will last. Quite frankly, I can't believe it's lasted this long. When should I walk away from the roulette wheel? So more more recent all-time highs, uh, you know, not too long ago, Charles, uh, Anna's, Anna's still feeling that momentum, despite the ups and downs we've had over the last few years. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, I'm not sure whether Anna's still, like, working and putting money in her 401k or just has it on the side and, you know, is living off of it. But I'll assume that she's still working, all right? Is that a safe assumption, you think, or— I think so. That sounds like it. Yeah, just based yeah. on perhaps how aggressive she's invested, it sounds like, with the ups and downs. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, the volatility over the past couple of years has really given her the return that she's enjoying today. I mean, she's buying at different prices. The assumption is that, you know, they're taking money out of her paycheck every pay period, whether it's every two weeks or once a month. So she's buying at 12 or 24 different prices, which is good. So, you know, I mean, I would just like ride it out, keep on investing. And then maybe 10 years before she retires, maybe look at like what her income needs are and maybe segregate a portion of that portfolio to more predictable income and leave the remaining in like, you know, an equity based uh, growth portfolio. So. I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, she's doing all the right things. I wouldn't bail out now because um, probably 10 years before you retire, and I don't know how old she is, is probably the most important time. It's like the red zone in football. Uh, you're either going to score, you know, a field goal or a touchdown, and we're looking for a touchdown, and touchdowns, you know, will come if she remains fully invested in the market. 
It's a great point there as well. Good question, Anna. Thanks for sending that one in to us. All right, let's go to Alex. Alex says, my brother told me there's a law from a few years ago that now forces my kids to take a lot of money out of my IRA in the first 10 years after I pass away. Do I have any options to combat this for them? Is uh, this reference to the stretch IRA? Well, yeah, it used to be the stretch IRA. Now there is no more stretch. What they require you to do, if you're not a spouse and you inherit like a parent's IRA or, you know, an uncle's IRA, you've got to take money out. And it really depends on whether that person who you inherited from was taking their required minimum distributions, you know, before you inherited their account. So if you have somebody that's like, say, in their 80s, so they were obviously taking their R&Ds, you're required if you inherit that IRA to take so much out each and every year for the next 10 years and then clean it out before the end of the 10th year. Now, the detriment to doing that is that as a general rule, most people that are the beneficiaries of these inherited IRAs are most likely still working. Uh, they get to add this income to their current income, which could put them in a higher bracket. And uh, instead of maybe paying 12, 15, 20%, they might be paying 25, 28, 32%, so a higher tax. So, um, you know, that's not a good thing, but, you know, obviously the IRS knows what they're doing. They're actually postponing people taking their RMDs and then they're forcing beneficiaries to start taking the money out. And in a lot of cases, those beneficiaries will be in a higher tax bracket. Now, there is ways to combat that. Obviously, you don't have to, you have to take a minimum out each year, assuming that the person that you inherited from is, you know, over the RMD age. But you can take more and you can like work your tax bracket. So maybe there are beneficiaries that are in a low tax bracket. It could be beneficial for them to take more out in one year than another year. And the other thing too is like, uh, Roth IRAs. I know that, uh, you know, if you inherit an IRA, you can't convert it to a Roth IRA. But the people who have these IRAs that are taking their RMDs, even like in their 70s and 80s, they can do Roth conversions. And when they leave Roth IRAs to their children, grandchildren, or, you know, siblings, whatever, yeah, they got to pull that money out within 10 years. But there are no RMDs with Roth IRAs, so that Roth IRA could grow tax-free for up to 10 years, and then they can take the whole kit and caboodle out and not get taxed on anything, or take the money out as they need it and not get taxed on anything. So a Roth IRA uh, is a great thing to inherit. Uh, A traditional IRA might not be as uh, advantageous to inherit. And to the people listening to this podcast, if you have excess money in your IRAs, and you know in your heart of hearts you're probably not going to spend it all during your lifetime, it might make sense to consider doing some strategic Roth conversions over the next several years so that the beneficiaries of your hard-earned you know, savings will receive that money tax-free over a period of time up to 10 years. All good points on that one. And yeah, that's something that people have had a lot of questions about over the past couple of years. All right, let's get to one more question here, Charles. This final one comes to us from Sherry. Sherry says, I've spent 40 years saving and investing, and now that I'm about to retire, I can't comprehend the notion of turning things in the other direction and taking money out of savings instead of putting money in. I know this is something that people do all the time, so why does it terrify me so much? This is kind of maybe uh, come full circle, kind of harkens back to that first question, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, um, let me ask you this, Walter. Do you ever hear the money cycle? Do you know what the money cycle is? The money is? cycle? No, yeah. explain. Yeah, so the money cycle traditionally is like, hey, we we spend so many years accumulating, right? And then when we retire, we actually spend so many years like um, spending, so uh, distributing our money. So 
it really the money cycle for most people is two cycles accumulation on the front end and you know distribution on the back end what's different from that money cycle and the money cycle that i believe in and i actually i learned this from the group i'm with uh the group's called clarity to prosperity i've been with them for over 12 years and you know just a great organization their money cycle comp is composed of three things number one the accumulation all right but number two, which most people forget about, is the preservation piece. And then number three is the distribution piece. So if people looked at the money cycle from three points of view, not two, and they had that preservation piece, they would not really worry about market volatility. They'd have a lot less anxiety and they'd be more confident in their spending because not only do they have an income you know, bucket, so to speak, they also have a growth bucket and each are working in conjunction with each other as opposed to having one giant portfolio and having all that anxiety about, you know, what's the market doing today and, you know, how much can I spend and, gee, I'm down like, 15% last year, I better cut my spending. That all goes away when you have your money time segmented into now, soon, and later. So I, I feel like anybody listening to this podcast, if they just uh, Google The Bucket Plan, it's a book, it's one of the national bestsellers, and just got that and read it, it's an easy read, it would just show them how to time segment their money so that you know they know that you know for the most part, the money's working for them, you know, uh, and they're not, they have a lot less anxiety about the future. Well, thank you so much for handling this uh, peppering of questions, Charles, and I'm glad that we got to cover such a large variety of topics here. If you have questions like this, this is a great example of what leads people to often work with a financial advisor and go through the process of putting together a financial plan. It's because you have unanswered questions about your finances and about your retirement, and that's where you can get clarity by working with a great financial advisor like Charles Weldy, who is uh, not only a CPA, uh, so he's got that specializing in taxes uh, kind of moniker to his name, and, and more than just a moniker, but obviously great credentials there, uh, but a certified financial planner as well, completing um, some of the most rigorous, you know, challenging training in this industry, making sure to put clients' best interests first. Uh, those are really important designations to have in the industry, and you want to work with an advisor who is in that camp and in that group. So give a call to Charles if you have questions for him and you want to talk a little bit more about your finances and your future, 610 is the number, or you can go online to cpweldygroup.com. That contact information is in the description of today's show, so you can find it easily as well. Charles, thanks for all the help, and uh, we'll talk to you again on the next episode. Thank you, Walter. Appreciate it. All right, come back and join us next time, folks, right back here on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Ohio. CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice. Insurance and tax services offered through CP Weldy Group are not affiliated with PCA. Information received from this podcast should not be viewed as individual investment advice. Product discussions and illustrations are hypothetical in nature and will vary based on many factors, including but not limited to age, health, product, insurance carrier, and product design. You should consult the insurance carrier website and policy for detailed information. Content may have been created by a third party and was not written or created by a PCA-affiliated advisor and does not represent the views or opinions of PCA or its subsidiaries. For information pertaining to the registration status of PCA, please contact the firm 
or refer to the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For additional information about PCA, including fees and services, send for our disclosure statement as set forth on Form ADV from PCA using the contact information herein. Please read the disclosure statement carefully before you invest or send money.